0: Before we look in our Bibles, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the ministry of music. We thank you for how we can wash ourselves in preparation for the hearing of your word through that music. We thank you for the reminder of the gospel story. We thank you for the call on our life to seek your face. And I pray now that you would allow your word to come forward. I pray you would help me to step back. Uh, I pray, Lord, that your power would be present here today and help us to become more like your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, Last week, we returned to our study of the book of Job. Now, a year ago, uh, we ended uh, at the end of chapter 31 is the end of the cycle of speeches, So for a number of chapters, we listen to Job and his friends go back and forth, trying to answer the question, why was this happening? Job's friends, again, believing Job had been wicked. Job uh, says that's not the case. The book says that's not the case. But Job continues to wonder why God has allowed this to happen to him. We saw last week the introduction of a new character, a young man by the name of Elihu. He has been there through the whole conversation, but has chosen now as the time he will speak. And he claims at the very front that he is now speaking with the Spirit of God. Elihu is acting as a sort of prophet in this book. He is preparing for the arrival of God in chapter 38. Now we saw last week uh, in the first of the four speeches of Elihu that he came to God's defense first by confronting Job and his three friends over how they've been handling this. He confronts them about their presumption. They're thinking that they would know what to do with this. And he confronts them about how over time, through this suffering, they had grown hard-hearted. And what he leaves there is an urgent need for God to, to speak and to be heard. Now, here in chapter 34, we really come to the heart of what Elihu wants to say. He's going to, in this chapter, answer two questions, and in the next chapter, he's going to answer another. But these three questions together make up the heart of what Elihu wants to say. And the two questions here in this chapter... Are the questions that come up pretty much any time there is any difficulty or real suffering in the life of a person. Is God fair? And is God good? Is God fair? And is God good? Now at the end of chapter 33, Elihu prepares Job and says, Job, I'm going to answer the question you've been waiting to have answered. But I'm not just going to answer your question, Job. I am here to teach you. I am here to help you understand. So it's not just that he's going to answer the question. He's going to answer the question in a way that is going to be helpful. He's going to give Job lessons. And so what I think we have in our text this morning are really three lessons we can learn or three lessons that we need for times of suffering And the first one Elihu is going to lay out here in the text is the need to test our thinking. The need to test our thinking. Elihu opens by addressing a group. Now the text or the language here indicates that that Elihu is really just anybody who's listening. So he's not really directly talking to Job at this moment. Perhaps a crowd has gathered. Maybe people have heard about this great debate going on. We really have no idea how long these conversations went. But Elihu wants to address the crowd. In verses 2 through 4, Elihu presents a task that needs to be undertook. And that is to discern thinking. Now we mentioned last week that in times of suffering, usually the the inner dialogue gets a little louder. We're always talking to ourselves, but in times of suffering, we begin to get a little louder. Why is this happening to me? What is going on? And so Elias says, because of this, we need to discern or we need to test our thinking. Now, I love the picture that he uses here because he says, just like we use our tongue to discern good food from bad food. He says, we need to use our ears to discern the difference between good thinking and bad thinking. In fact, the way he describes it is we need to taste, our ears need to taste the words of Job so we can decide whether or not this is morally good thinking. Is Job heading in the right direction in the way he's thinking about his suffering? And following that, he lays out, in fact, he directly quotes Job. He says, here's what Job has said, all right? So we're going to test his thinking. And so he quotes Job. He quotes Job right out of chapter 10, right out of chapter 13. Here's the quote. God has taken away my judgment. Job has declared that perhaps God is good. Perhaps God is just. It's just that God has decided to no longer be fair with me. He's saying to those listening, to his three friends, he's saying, look at the carnage. It's clear here that even though I haven't done anything wrong, God has decided to weigh everything against me. Job is sure there will never be blessing again. Job, as he describes it here, is saying, My wound is permanent, my reputation is ruined. He expects nothing from God. This is from Job's point of view. This is the end of Job. And that brings us to verse 7 here. Elihu responds by giving a rhetorical question. So what man is like Job who has drank up scorning? So he's called us to listen or to taste Job's word, given us Job's word. And now he's telling us what he thinks of it. He's saying these are the words of a scorner. He says, what man has put himself so clearly in the company of the wicked or the company of sinners? Now, I want to make a discernment here. Job's friends had claimed that Job was wicked. Job claimed he wasn't. The Bible clearly says that he wasn't. What Elihu is saying here is not that Job is wicked. It's just that Job's thinking has become morally corrupt in the midst of his suffering. The mistake of the friends was to think that Job was wicked. Elihu is just pointing out this is wicked type of thinking. And then verses 10 to 15, he actually just gets to the point of the first answer. He says, yes, God is just. He says, yes, God is good. In fact, he, he explains here that God is good by definition. And he's saying to Job, we must understand, and he's saying to the crowd, we must understand thinking because God runs his world on his own wisdom. The best way, or Elihu's trying to get Job to understand and get the crowd to understand, the best way to orientate ourselves in the midst of difficulty is the wisdom of God. To put away or to reject the scoffer's wisdom. And so that this is a calling, like he was saying, in the midst of all suffering, one must know whether or not their thinking is good thinking, morally good thinking. Are they thinking about their situation the right way, or is it wrong thinking? Let me maybe explain it this way. Years ago, I was at a friend's house, uh, and they said they were going to serve up some, uh, some cheesecake. Now, at that point in my life, I had never had cheesecake. Now, unbeknownst to them, they didn't do this on purpose, but they made their cheesecake with spoiled milk. I have never put something so nasty in my mouth. Now, years later, I met my wife, who has a special affinity for cheesecake. And for many years in our marriage, I refused to ever taste it again. But she got me to one day, and now I know that wasn't what cheesecake's supposed to taste like. And that's what we're being called to do, to understand what is terrible cheesecake. Now, in the book of Proverbs, the scoffer is very interesting. Because he's the one person that the father says to the son to completely avoid. The fool is confronted Several others in the book are confronted about their way of life. But when it comes to the scoffer, the father essentially says to the son, stay away. You see, the scoffer tangles himself up. And when you go to the scoffer, you are going to get tangled up yourself. Because the scoffer, he will ask counterfeit questions. Let me explain what I mean. The scoffer likes to ask, what if? For example, he might ask, what if the Bible is not the word of God? Think about that question for a moment. It's in fact entirely unanswerable. It is a question of speculation. And when you get a question of speculation, then the answer is always going to be dependent upon which way the wind is blowing. So on your good days, the word of God is going to be the word of God. On your bad days, it's not going to be the word of God. Here, what Elihu is saying is, is that the scorner asks the question, what if God is not just? It's a counterfeit question. It's bad cheesecake. Because it's just speculation. It's an invitation to speculate. What if? And again, you're going to be tossed about based on your good days God is going to be fair and just on your bad days. God is not going to be fair and just. There's a moment in Jesus' ministry where the religious leaders just confront him, saying, look, you just need to tell us by what authority you're doing all this. And so Jesus says, all right, I'll tell you, but you first have to answer a question of mine. The ministry of John the Baptist, was it from heaven or from earth? He's asking them if it was legit or not legit. And so they kind of re- excused themselves and they talked among each other. And they said, look, if we say it was from heaven, he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? If we say it's from earth, he says, then we're going to get stoned because all the people understood him to be a prophet. And so they came back to Jesus and says, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you. See, Jesus was refusing to enter into the scorner's game. Why does this matter? Because in times of suffering, in times of difficulty, you have to be able to identify where the struggle is. Because every day, in the midst of difficulty and suffering, every day, there will be a firefight between right and wrong. And so you have to be able to trace the difference between what is truth and what is a lie. What is real hope and what is just an illusion? What is insight? What is self deception? What is a true need and nothing more than a wild desire? What is living faith and nothing more than high functioning godlessness? You see, when you're in the midst of suffering, the scorner's wisdom will not help. Endless speculation will not help. That's the trap that Job and his friends had fallen into. This is why we are prone to wander. So we identify, what is scorner's wisdom? What is the speculative? What is the true wisdom of God? Because there and only there will I find understanding. There and only there will I find orientation or a solid place to stand. So that is the lesson that Elihu gives to the crowd. Now he turns its attention to Job here in verse 16. And he gives us our second thing. We are called to find comfort in the hard sovereignty of God. He's calling Job to find comfort in the hard sovereignty of God. Now I mentioned last week that if you're really going to walk with somebody or help somebody who is suffering, we have to get away from this uh, fortune cookie idea. We have to get away from bumper sticker theology. I mean, this is a real question. Job is questioning whether or not God is fair. He is questioning whether or not God is good. Now, Elihu has already answered the question, yes, God is fair or God is just and God is good. He could perhaps just say to Job, you know, Job, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And he would be absolutely right. But here he wants to take Job deeper. He wants Job to see the foundation of what holds up that truth We have to drill further down. And he makes a comparison. What Elihu does is he compares God with earthly rulers. He starts in verse 18, for example, verse 18 and 19. Elihu starts by pointing out that God is impartial. The idea here is God is not acting based upon outside opinions. In verse 20, Elihu points out that God judges without uncertainty. God never second guesses what he does. In fact, he's saying that God himself as a ruler brings no uncertainty. Just like a, an earthly ruler. He gives a, a picture here. He says, look, earthly rulers, they go home and they, and they sleep in their bed. And if, if they die, that creates all sorts of uncertainty. But that, that's not found with God. Verses 21 to 25, Elihu points out that God judges without ignorance. God sees it all. He knows every step that a person takes in their life. This might actually be what Jesus is referencing when he says that God knows every hair on your head in Luke 12. But the point that Elihu is getting to is that God doesn't need investigation. He already has all the facts. But then in verses 29 Elihu hits the bullseye or hits the point that has been the topic of discussion Elihu says to Job that God is fair or God is just or God is good even when it appears that he is delayed this is the main problem right Job has wondered why hasn't God come to my rescue where is God And the point that Elihu is making to Job is that even when God is delayed, even when God is silent, he is still just and fair. He's arguing with Job saying, even if we can't understand it, and we can't understand what God is doing, the thing that we can be certain about is God has not left us to chance. Jesus was late to see Lazarus. He knew Lazarus was sick. He knew Lazarus was dead. And Mary and Martha wondered why he was delayed. And Jesus' answer to them was this this was by design. What Elihu is appealing to is the sovereignty of God, or what theologians describe as the hard sovereignty of God. The Bible is teaching, or Elihu is explaining to Job, there are no black holes where God does not reach. There is no time, there is no place, there is no circumstance in which God does not see and control and have reach. God's God's sovereignty means that just because I suffer, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden God stops being just or stops being good. Now this place of hard sovereignty is a place of both trembling, but it is the place of comfort. Now, it is a place of trembling because if we sit and meditate on it enough, we will realize that we are not lords. What do I mean? All of us are building our little kingdoms. We build our kingdoms with spouses and with children, with cars, with houses, with cell phones and Netflix, satellite TV, master's degrees. And when we begin to think about the hard sovereignty of God, we realize we have rulership over none of it. The hard sovereignty of God teaches us there is no upper management. There's nobody to complain to above God. There is nowhere to look to outside of him. And I'll put it this way. When things that are difficult begin to happen in our life and out of a good place, many of us will try and find a way to explain God, to justify God and his actions or what we may perceive as his lack of action in our life. It's interesting that the book of Job makes absolutely no attempt to do so. But like I said, this place is a place of comfort and that's because... Only two things, or one of two things, can be true at any given time. Either your suffering is meaningful or it is meaningless. You either have to look at your suffering and say, I have gotten caught in the merciless machine of a cold universe. It's just happenstance that I am in this position. Or... What Elihu is saying to Job, you must look at your suffering and say, God is just, God is good. That means my suffering has meaning, and I must wait to see what it is. And it means I must dismiss the idea that my suffering is pointless until I know what the meaning is. Jesus and his disciples came upon a blind man. In that moment, the disciples say to Jesus, why is this man blind? Did his parents sin? Or did he sin? Now the question implies that perhaps the man had not always been blind. Could you imagine losing your sight? But Jesus' response to his disciples is this. This man is blind not because of sin, but that God may be glorified. Jesus gives the disciples the answer of the hard sovereignty of God. The reality that God is just, God is good, but also that he works all things only and out of his own counsel. That is a place of comfort. But then he brings Job, probably the most confrontational part of this conversation or this speech to who gives is to point his finger at Job. I can just imagine him pointing his finger at Job and saying, there is seriousness in how we respond. Number three, there is seriousness in our response to times of suffering. Now he's answered the question, God is Josh. God is good. He's told Job, this, this is how we're supposed to think. We're supposed to lean into, find the comfort of the hard sovereignty of God. But then in verse 31, he confronts Job directly saying, Job, how are you going to talk to God about your suffering? How are you going to think about it? How are you going to pray about it? And Elihu tells Job, this is how you're supposed to respond. The first thing in verse 31 is he says, we're supposed to say to God, I have borne.'" The idea there is one of acknowledging Submission. Now, many of you might have a supplied word there, chastisement or correction. Uh, That's not actually in the language there. And I want to make sure we're clear. Again, Job is not being punished. He's not suffering because he's being punished. The idea that Elihu is laying out before Job is one not of speculation, which is what Job and his friends have done. But one of submission. It is to say, as Paul does in Philippians, I have known how to be hungry. I know how to be full, I know how to be debased, I know how to be honored, but whatever state I'm in, I find myself content. This is where the Lord has me. It is to remind ourselves that any suffering that we face does not come to us by chance. And so we respond by saying, as we did last week, nothing has changed. I am still his servant. I am still his vessel. I still know his love. In verse 32, he says, that We're also not only supposed to submit to God, but we are to reply. He gives the phrase here if I have done wrong, I will do it no more. He's saying if you're in the midst of suffering and you submit to God, the next step is to hold fast to your integrity. We just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is the lesson of the psalmist over and over and over again. Every time he would face a difficulty, there would be this little phrase of I will not be moved. I will hold to my integrity. And then the third and final response of who says we must give to God is if when needed, we need to ask for more Light. Help us to know what we don't know. The idea is to admit the lack of wisdom, the lack of knowledge to know what to do, uh, what the right thing to do is. Again, this is what he confronted them about just in the last speech. They had gone off the rails thinking they already had all that they needed. This is nothing more, or maybe perhaps James was reading this when he wrote at the beginning of James Chapter one, pray, ask for wisdom. If you don't know what to do, pray, ask for wisdom. And then the point of verses 34 to 37 are a warning. It seems from the language that Elihu's ultimate concern is that Job has grown hard-hearted. And the warning he gives is that Job and his response and the warning he is saying to anybody that suffers is the reality that our response that in all things we are accountable to God. How Job responds is going to matter. Now the Bible tells us that Job responded the right way at first. He declared, you know what? God had blessed me. So what kind of guy would I be if I only took God's blessing and I wouldn't take what was hard? But clearly, over the course of time, the blows became too severe. Things got too hard. And this is the difference between Job and Jesus. Both men claimed to be innocent. Jesus Jesus truly was innocent. But Job didn't endure. Jesus did. Jesus not only did not sin, he did not deserve the suffering... He did not sin in his suffering. And therefore, Jesus is our example, as Hebrews 12 tells us, not Job. Now, we have to engage with the warning at the end of this text, this concern of Elihu's, that Job may be, if we want to use modern terms, Job may be unconverted. He's worried for Job's soul. And he has just said in his previous speech that God does use suffering to try and save a life from the pit. And so the question we must answer, how will you respond? Well, if you are unconverted, if you would not claim Christ this morning, the call that Elihu says to you that if you suffer and do not know, you must consider the cross. God rained down wrath upon his only son because of sin. A lie whose question would amount to something. What do you think he'll do with his enemies because of their sin? If you are not a Christian and you are suffering, your suffering does matter. The Father does use affliction. From the same place these striking blows may come. It's the place you will find the loving arms. All you are called, all that Elihu is trying to plead with you is this to confess your sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. God is just. God is good. In our times of suffering and difficulty, we must make sure that we do not put on the thinking of the scoffer. But seek after wisdom, for only there will we find our orientation, the place to stand. We must comfort ourselves with the hard sovereignty of God that never is our suffering because of chance. Always does our suffering have purpose. We remind ourselves that the greatest suffering, the death of Christ, brought about the greatest result, our salvation. And that what you do with this matters. For we are all accountable to God. So Christian, Elihu says to you, bear your suffering. Keep your integrity. Pray for more light. For those of you who may not be, he calls you to believe in the love displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ, not only for your salvation, but for the place that will allow you to endure. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this reminder that never is it not true. You are always just, always good. May we not give in to the speculation of the scorner, but seek wisdom. Let us be planted by your wisdom in our times of suffering. May we lean into the comfort of the hard sovereignty of God and may we know the seriousness of which we respond. Let us look to Christ, our example, and pattern all that we do after him. To the glory of his name, amen.